This series um, in Hebrews, uh, book of the Bible, we've been talking about this greater than symbol uh, that's behind me that Cam uh, built for us. And, and to take you back to elementary school, uh, which is why this is a chalkboard for those of you who went to school where they still use chalkboards um, in the last century. Um, um, it was, I'm not kidding, it was, um, uh, uh, this greater than symbol for me was very confusing uh, because it always pointed to the wrong answer, right? To me, it made sense that it should point to the thing that's greater than, right? Because you want to draw attention to it. Well, I had to learn that that's not what this symbol does, that the big side is where the big thing is and the little side is where the little thing is. And the reason we have a circle around it is also to take you back to those, to those tests where there was a circle and you had to decide which way the thing was supposed to go. Because what we've seen as we've been going through Hebrews is that what's on one side or the other makes a difference. Because in math, see, if you're a mathematician, you love precision and you love order. Like things have a right answer. An equation has a right answer. But in math... Even though math as a discipline loves having the right answer, sometimes there are still things that we just don't know. Sometimes the things we don't know are actually very vast, but what this symbol does is it helps us capture what we do know. And what we do know is that stuff on the big side of that symbol will always be bigger, and stuff on the small side of that symbol will always be smaller. And that's why that symbol is there. And the reason I kind of gravitate to that as we talk about Hebrews, the reason our creative team has gravitated toward that is because that captures a lot of what our relationship with God is like, right? There's a lot about God that we don't know. Even, even, even in eternity, when we're in heaven, we're still learning about God for all eternity. Like he's that big and that vast. And so there'll always be stuff that we don't know, always be stuff that we're learning. But there are some things that we do know. There are some things that are certain. There are some things that are anchors to our soul. And that's what greater than is. And so as we've been going through Hebrews, we've seen in this very first chapter, chapter one, that Jesus is greater than. Jesus is on this big side. And this preacher of Hebrews, this preacher to the Hebrew group, and that's what this, this book is, it's a sermon, is he started off wanting them to know that Jesus is greater than two things in particular. He's greater than the prophets. So he's greater than the most spiritual person you know. Jesus is greater. And he's greater than even the most spiritual beings that you know. He's greater than the angels. And so Jesus is greater than, than any person and he's greater than any spirituality. But today, this preacher is gonna give us a warning. And he's gonna say, what happens when that symbol is flipped, what happens when Jesus is less than? What happens when Jesus is on that small side and other stuff is on the big side? What happens when he is less than people? What happens when he is less than spirituality? Well, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter two. We're gonna be doing verses one through four. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. And if you're using that Bible, it's on page 842 is where we're gonna be. Um, 
if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift for you because we, we want you to have a Bible in your hands. We want you to have a Bible in your home. Or you can also, as Laura said, download the Bible app and go to events and click on Fellowship Asheville, scroll down, and all the verses are there, and my points of the message are there too. And today, here's, I'm going to give you a little heads up because I want us all on the same page as we go into this, these scriptures today. Because today, you get to hear a family conversation. You get to hear a family meeting. Now, how many of you have had family meetings before where you're the parent and you say, okay, everybody in the living room or everybody around the kitchen table, we got some stuff to talk about, right? Or maybe you're a kid and that's happened to you. You're, you're a teenager and all of a sudden parents come down and call family meeting and your first thought is, oh no, I did something wrong. Chances are you did, but that's all right. That's what we're going to talk about. When I was, not only have I had them in my family, when I was single, I lived with four other guys. So it was five of us in one house. Can you imagine what that place smelled like? I'm not kidding. It was awful. But we would have family meetings every once in a while. And so this isn't just a, a married with kids thing. It's a singles thing, too. And, and we'd gather all the roommates together in the living room, and we would talk about stuff that was going on in our lives, and our hearts. We would talk about chores. There was like this practical side of the family meeting where we'd talk about stuff that needed to get done. And more particularly, we would talk about stuff that wasn't getting done and who was going to do it. We would talk about things that we've noticed in each other's lives because we lived with each other and saw each other day and night. And, and so we would talk about patterns that we've seen in each other's lives and how some of them are good and maybe some of them are bad. We would talk about issues that were going on in our own hearts. And we wanted this, this group of guys that we lived with to kind of share those issues with and, and pray for us and kind of carry us in prayer through that. But the, but the trick with that family meeting was that that family meeting was just about our family. And it was just about what was going on under that roof. It wasn't about anybody else. We didn't bring our best friends over to the family meeting. We didn't invite cousins over to the family meeting. It was just us. It was a we conversation, not a they conversation. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see a we conversation. And so here's why I want us all on the same page. If you're a Jesus follower, this family meeting is for you. Whether you're a member here at Fellowship, whether you're visiting Fellowship, whether somebody just brought you here, right? If you're a Jesus follower, this meeting is for you. If you are not a Jesus follower and you haven't said yes to Jesus and you haven't said yes to, to the good news of the gospel, which you're going to hear us talk about, if that's not you, number one, I'm so glad that you're here. And number two, it's the perfect Sunday to come. You can sit back and relax. This isn't about you. This is about us, the church. And you can see it in this very first verse of chapter two. This preacher starts off and he goes, therefore we. And see, there it is. It's this we. This isn't a they conversation. This is a we. And so this preacher, standing, he's like, okay, y'all, this group of Hebrews listening to me talk about Jesus. Listen, y'all, this is about us. And so I need us to pay attention. And that's what I'm saying to us, too, that we have a family meeting that we're going to get to peek in on. And look at what this family meeting is about. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And so he's starting off and he's saying, listen, y'all, this family meeting is about something important. It's about what we pay attention to and what happens when we don't pay attention to it. And this word attention that he's talking about, it's this great picture 
of what a captain does to a ship when a ship comes into the dock, right? The amount of, te- the amount of tension that must be given so that the ship doesn't ram the dock, so that the dock doesn't ram the ship. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, my wife is a, a travel agent, and so because of that, we get to travel, which is fun. One of the things that we have loved even before she was a travel agent is going on cruises. I love them. You've got this buffet that's open all the time. You've got pools. You've got beaches. You've got movies. You've got all this entertainment. It's great. It's like this, this, this vacation on the water. But on the cruises that we've been in, the ship has this one particular part of the ship that's for the captain only. And it's for him or her, depending on who the captain is, when they come into the dock. And it's this, it's this little balcony. You, you come out of the steering room and you step out onto this balcony. And this balcony has a glass floor and a joystick. And he stands there on this glass floor so he can see the, the edge of the ship and he can see the dock and he controls the entire thing with like this Atari-looking joystick, right? Thousands of people on this ship and he's got this little joystick and he can move that ship to exactly where it needs to be to be able to come into the dock safely. And that's the picture that this preacher is saying that we must pay that much attention to what we're gonna talk about today. Or else we drift. And this this picture of drift is exactly what you think it is. It's instead of the captain directing the ship where he wants it to go. It's it's a ship sitting out in the ocean saying, hey, I want to get to that dock. And I bet if we just go down the buffet, when we come back, we'll be there. And letting the current take them where they want. And so this, this family meeting is a warning about what happens when you don't pay attention. And instead, you let the currents take you where it takes you. And this meeting is saying when Jesus is less than, we drift. When Jesus is less than, we drift. When we don't pay attention to Jesus being greater, greater than, like this captain docking the boat, we drift. We go where we don't want to go. We go where the currents take us. And this preacher has already told us what these two currents are. Right? These, we, we've seen that, when, that Jesus is greater than spiritual people and Jesus is greater than any spirituality. But, but this family meeting is about what happens when that's flipped. What happens when, when spiritual people are greater than Jesus? What happens when any spirituality is greater than Jesus? Well, look at what happens when that symbol is flipped. Look at what happens when Jesus is less than. In verse two, it says, for since, this, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. And so here this preacher is saying, all right, here's, here's where we are, family. Uh, I need you to pay attention to something. If you don't, you're gonna drift. And now he's gonna say, what happens when you drift? And, and he's gonna give an example of the angels. And when angels speak, people were to assume that that was God speaking to them. And, and if, um, uh, you know, it's, it's January, Christmas may still be on your mind. If you have kids that are in school, it still feels like Christmas break because they haven't been in school in three months. And so, so Christmas is still probably very fresh on your mind, right? And, and, and it's this great picture of what happens when angels show up. When angels showed up and the shepherds were in the field, and it wasn't just one angel. This time it was like this chorus of angels, this choir of angels showed up, and, and they told the shepherds that their Savior had been born in a manger and to go see him. And so what this preacher is doing is saying, remember what the shepherds did. When the angels left, so did the shepherds, and they ran to that manger to see the Savior. They obeyed. 
They didn't just go back to tending their sheep and act like this choir of angels never happened. Because if they hadn't done that, that would be disobedience. That would be That would give them consequences. And he he even says in verse 3 at the beginning, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect? How shall we escape if we neglect? How can we escape the consequences and the punishment if we neglect what we've been told? If we neglected what the angel said, there'd be consequences. And this word neglect means to reject by apathy. It just means to be like, yeah, angel's saying, big deal, and do nothing with it. And in a very kind way, this preacher is saying, when we drift, there are consequences. When we drift, when we let currents take us where we don't want to go, when we don't pay attention to what we've been asked to do, when we don't pay attention to what we're about to see, there will be consequences for that. I mean, think about that ship in the ocean that just wants to drift into the dock. There'll be consequences for allowing that to happen. And what are those consequences? We'll see in just a little bit. But before we do, look at what he wants this family meeting to pay attention to. In verse three, it says, how, can we, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Like he's saying, family, what we pay attention to is the gospel. And keep in mind, he is reminding this congregation of the gospel. Remember, this is a we conversation. A lot of times people think the gospel is for they. It's for those people who haven't said yes to Jesus yet. But he's reminding this congregation, listen, this gospel is what you pay attention to. And then what he's about to do is he's about to show you how reliable that gospel is. And here's why he's doing it. There's this this part of us, and I think it's horrible theology, that when we come to Christ and we experience salvation and we say yes to Jesus, that, that from that point on, we don't need the gospel anymore. That it's up to us to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do what's right and not do what's wrong. And I had a professor in seminary that used to say over and over and over again, the gospel that saves you is the gospel that sustains you. There is no other gospel. The fact that Jesus died for your sins so you can have a good and right relationship is just as important as the first time you say yes to Jesus for salvation as it will be tomorrow when you wake up Monday morning and want to live a life where you are the center of your world instead of Jesus is the center of your world. You still need that same gospel that Jesus saved you, that Jesus is the reason for you to have this good and right relationship with the Lord. And this warning here that he's saying, it's we, it's you and me, we can still drift away from that same gospel that saves us and that gospel that transforms us. And here's why I think he wants us to know that. Here's why I think he's gonna prove his point that we can actually trust it and rely on it is because this, no matter what currents cause you to drift away, whether people are big or another spirituality big, no matter what causes you to drift away, there is always a current that will bring you back. And that current is the gospel. And no matter how far you've drifted, no matter how long that you've drifted, that current is always right there with you to draw you back to the dock. And what's amazing is you can have years of drifting and that current can bring you back in a moment in time. But how can we trust this gospel? Verse three 
It says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by our Lord. And so how can we know it's true? You look at the source. Jesus went around saying that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, that he was the one that the nation of Israel had been waiting for, that he was the one that we have been waiting for. When he said he is the truth, the life, and the way, and no one comes to the Father except through him, that's what he was doing, was declaring the gospel and declaring that when you say yes to him, you're saying yes to a God who loves you, who made you, who created you, and who wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And Jesus was the one who said that. And if that wasn't enough, look at the rest of verse three. It says, it was was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard. And so not only did Jesus declare that, he had a group of followers called disciples. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, when Jesus was out of the picture physically and tangibly, they kept saying, Jesus really is greater than. And for those of you who are into apologetics and into, into, into um, is Jesus who he really says he is, that one factor is powerful evidence that the movement never died down. People still kept saying Jesus is who he says he is. He did what he said he was gonna do because eventually, if it was a lie, it would have died down. Eventually, they would have said, nah, he must have been crazy. He thought he was God, but he's not. Or he was a liar. He knew he wasn't God and he wanted to convince us that he was. Or, as they kept saying, he really is Lord. And they kept calling him Lord. And if that isn't evidence enough that this gospel is real, look at verse 4. It says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So you see, not only did Jesus declare this gospel. Not only did the people after him declare that it was true, and so as if that's not enough evidence for us to believe, it was also proven by what happened when people believed. When people said yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God empowered them with with special giftings that that, that God used them to, to bring transformation not only in themselves, but in the city around them and the people around them. And, and, and after Jesus left, the blind were still healed. And the blind could see, and the, and the deaf were healed. The deaf could hear. In current times, here we've seen the, the gospel still change people's lives. When, when the Holy Spirit empowers them, we've seen addictions be broken. We've seen abuse in families stop. Where there was anger, now there's kindness. And no psychology can do that. You see, this one simple truth that Jesus really is greater than is what we, as a family, can rely on. It really is true, not just when we said yes to Jesus, but it is true today and tomorrow and the rest of our lives. But in our family meeting, what we're talking about is what happens when Jesus is less than, what happens when people are greater than? What, is, what does drifting look like then? What does it look like if people are greater than Jesus? Oftentimes, 
it looks like a drift from holiness. Now, this is coming from, from my own heart. This is coming from, from biblical examples. This is coming from, from over 20 years of experience and ministry and helping people and, and pointing people to Jesus. And, 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 and I know in my heart and, and your hearts, I would imagine, is the same. When people have a louder voice than Jesus and God's word, what happens is we stop doing what Jesus has asked us to do. And we start doing what he hasn't asked us to do. And peer pressure that, that, that kids face at school is, is exponentially higher. If you went to school when they still use chalkboards, you have no idea what peer pressure is like now because you didn't have a social media account then. You didn't have other people liking or disliking or not liking every move that you make. And this peer pressure is, is so strong in this new generation. And when that pressure is stronger than Jesus and stronger than what Jesus has asked them to do, kids will start doing what they never thought they would do. Maybe you're not in school anymore. Maybe maybe it's the culture of the company you work for is getting louder than Jesus' voice. And maybe what this company is asking you to do is more or completely different than what Jesus is asking you to do. And maybe Jesus is less than your boss. Maybe Jesus is less than the company culture you work for. Or maybe it's the friend you're trying to impress or the person you're dating and you feel like you have to be someone different than who you are to get their attention. You have to be somebody different than who Jesus has created you to be. And and instead of speaking up on things that that you want to speak up on, you stay quiet. Instead of of staying quiet on things that you want to, you know, it's, it's all combobulated because you feel like you have to be somebody different to get their attention. Well, that's when they have a louder voice than Jesus does. And if you find yourself in that situation, then you know what drifting away looks like and feels like. It's a drifting away from holiness, from what you know Jesus would have you do. And so in our little family meeting here, I have a question for you. Are you letting other people have a louder voice than Jesus in your life? And if so, who? Who has that louder voice? Are they asking you to do what the Bible clearly says not to do? Or are they asking you not to do what the, clear, what the Bible clearly says to do? Now remember, if that happens, your relationships become more about them instead of about Jesus. That's what that looks like. But remember, no matter what current has caused you to drift, there is always one current that can draw you back in, and it's the gospel. So for our family meeting this morning, you today, right now, can step back into that current of the gospel and draw you back in and just declare right now that Jesus is greater than this person. And so I can follow Jesus. But what if, what if Jesus is greater than people? What does it look like to have a spirituality that's greater than Jesus? This one might seem a little bit obvious, but, but any spirituality, if that's greater than Jesus, then what it looks like is drifting from God. 
And in particular, what it looks like is drifting from God and drifting towards self. And, and if people are greater, those relationships become the center of your life. It's about them. If spirituality is greater, here's what I've seen is that, that instead of Jesus being the center of, the, of your life, you are the center of your life. And what happens in particularly is that in church, in your faith, you begin to pick and choose what you like and what you don't like instead of what the Bible lays out for that. You choose what you want your religion to actually be, and so in, in, in a way, you become your own God, which seems heavy, but, but let me tell you, this isn't just me speaking from experience. In the book of Judges, uh, which is a fascinating book in the Old Testament to read about, about what happens when God is taken out of the equation. And there's one in particular judge, there's one in particular person that's highlighted in the book of Judges called Micah. And Micah is this, this interesting guy because he comes into some money uh, and it kind of goes to his head a little bit. And, and instead of doing what the Bible has clearly laid out for him to do with that money to support his church, to support his temple and, and tithe from that money and, and declare that that money is a gift from God. And so he gives, instead of giving it back to God, what he decides to do is to take that money and literally make his own church. So he takes some of the silver and goes to a silversmith and tells the silversmith to make idols for him. So they make these little idols and he puts them up in his house. And, and then that becomes not good enough. That doesn't quite feel like church. And so what he does then is he makes this thing called an ephod. And what an ephod was is it was this breastplate that the high priest would wear. So it was, it was this breastplate like that, that the number one guy over the church would wear. And on this breastplate, there would be all these different jewels that would uh, represent the different tribes of Israel. And on the shoulders, there were rocks and each tribe of Israel was written on one of these rocks. And so it was literally the, the high priest would carry the weight of the nation and their sins before God. And it's this great picture of Jesus, and um, it's how God would speak to the people was through this high priest. Well, what Micah did, even though he wasn't a priest, is he made his own ephod. So he took some more silver to the silversmith and made his own version of the breastplate because he wanted his own church, and he wanted to be his own God. And if that wasn't enough... He even took some of the money he had left over and bought his own priest. So he literally had a pastor living with him all the time. Now, for some of you, that might be a good idea. For some of you, it's a really bad idea. But in either case, if he's on your payroll, it'll probably work out well for you. And that's what Micah wanted. His church was literally about him. And see, and that's what happens when a spirituality becomes greater than Jesus, this church, your church becomes about you. Now, um, got a couple more minutes. What I'm about to share with you, one, I need you to know I'm very nervous about. Um, my spiritual gift is encouragement, um, not flattery. Sometimes it sounds like flattery, but it's not. It's encouragement, which means I can see in people sometimes more than they see in themselves. I can see what God is doing, and I try and fan that flame all the time. What I'm not comfortable with, which means I hate confrontation. I hate speaking into the stuff that I see God not doing, or you not doing, that God has motivated you to do and, and laid in front of you to do. And I hate having tough conversations. But this, since we're having a family meeting, is going to be one of those tough conversations. And I say that because I want you to know from the very beginning 
what I'm about to say isn't based on any conversation that I've had. So, so as I'm talking and you go like, is he talking about me? No, I'm not. I'm okay. You're okay. This is something that's one of those rare opportunities that pastors get where we get to speak into the culture of a church and hopefully either nip something in the bud or make it never happen at all. And that's what this is because I have this growing concern about our congregation about Fellowship Asheville, about this family right here. So if you're listening online and you live someplace else, this doesn't refer to you. This is about right here in Fellowship Asheville. And I have this growing concern about complaining. And here's why. We've grown like 30% a year for the past three or four years, which is huge. And that creates a lot of change. My job looks vastly different than it did four years ago. This church looks different than it did for This church looks different than it did a year ago. Remember, we were at a gym at the Y a year ago. And, and because there's change, nobody really likes change, right? Even when I was getting my minor, and one of my minors was in biology, and there's this term called homeostasis, that everything gravitates toward the same. Anytime there's a change introduced, that organism is pushing against it to go back to the way it was. We don't like change. And one way that we react to change is by complaining and by talking about the way things used to be. Well, family, I want us to do something different than complain. Because this church is changing, and this church will always be changing. It's one of the things I love and hate about our God, is that he is continually putting you and me in places that we've never been before. Because when he does, we need him and rely on him in ways that we never did before that. Which means we're all going to be changing. It's one of our values here at Fellowship. We value transformation. It's how we judge success. If you're the same person a year from today than you are today and you haven't grown in your your trust and faith in the Lord, then we have failed you as a church. We want to see you change. What we don't want to see you do is complaining about that change. What I don't want to do is complain about about change. And listen, part of that is it's this time of year. Winter, there's a psychological term called seasonal affect disorder. And whoever came up with that thought they were being so cute that the acronym is SAD, right? Because that's the way you feel. And there's a part of me that appreciates that. If the acronym was JOY, it would just be like twisting the dagger in your side, right? Like, like so, so I get it. But, but part of that, even looking back at my old journals, during the winter, I just complain more, right? We're snowed in with sweet children. <laughs> at least they're sweet on day one. You know, you get to that point, maybe your kids are there, complete sidetrack, but when, when it takes you longer to get them in their snow gear than they actually are playing out in the snow, it's so frustrating, right? And, and, and so this time of year, complaining happens, and I just get that. Also, you're, you're part of a church that's imperfect. You've got an imperfect pastor. In case you haven't realized, you're an imperfect congregation. That's the way relationships work. I disappoint you. You disappoint me. That's relationships. That's why we have this gospel, because we're all, at the end of the day, a disappointment to somebody. But at the end of the day, Jesus is still there saying, I love you. And that's what draws us together. 
But here's the part that I want to bring clarity to and the part that I'm nervous about talking about because I don't want it to sound arrogant or egotistical. And it may start off that way, but it won't end that way because what I want us to get on the same page about is that this church is never about one person unless that person is Jesus. This church isn't about me. I don't get what I want. That's some of the the critiques that I've heard through other people, of course, is that, well, Fred just gets what he wants because he's the lead pastor. Y'all, number one, that ain't true. Number two, be glad that it's not true. Right? We have a team of elders of seven men, godly men, who pray for this church, who seek God's direction, who seek counsel in God's direction, and their biggest question is, what does God want from us? And whatever he says, we say yes to. And not only do we have an elder team, we have a leadership team. And that's a a team of people on staff. Half of them are men, half of them are women. And their job is to listen to the elders as we listen to the Lord and say, okay, how do we do what the elders are asking us to do? How do we do what Jesus wants us to do? And it's that leadership team that that prepares budgets that the elders approve. It's, It's the leadership team that plans the strategy and all that stuff. And no decision is made in isolation. There's there's not an office where Fred gets what he wants. There's not an office where Carol gets what she wants, where Eddie gets what he wants, where, where Amy gets what she wants. We are all a team together. And so this church isn't about one single person. This church isn't about me, but this church also isn't about you. And that makes me really nervous to say that because there's a part in all of our souls where we want this church to be the church we want. And the problem is, it's the church that Jesus wants. And so not only is this church not about me, this church isn't about you, it's about Jesus. Now, here's where a normal talk like this goes. Because believe it or not, I'm not the first pastor to ever have this talk. A lot of pastors then will say, if that's you, if you want this church to be about you, then don't let the the door hit you on the way out. You're not going to hear that today. What you're going to hear today is if this is you, today's an opportunity for you to step into a different current and to step in the current of the gospel. And that that makes all the difference. And here's how to tell if this is you. If you you find yourself complaining about things that don't matter or celebrating things that do, that's, that's the question. Do you find yourself complaining about things that don't matter? Or do you find yourself celebrating the things that do? You see, that is what what helps you and helps me see where we are, what current we're in. Because honestly, if we find ourselves complaining about things that don't matter, we're in the wrong current. And that other current is right there that we can step into. And then all of a sudden, we get to celebrate and see the things that God is doing. And so what do you do with your complaints? First of all, I want you to know this. If you see what's wrong, you're probably a leader. That's a gift of leadership. When you can look across the landscape of something and see the cracks in it and you see what's wrong, that's a leader. A good leader provides solutions to what's wrong, though. A bad leader just points out what's wrong. And and the book of Colossians speaks to this, and it speaks to how this works in the church. Because Colossians 3.13 says this. This is bearing with one another. Because that's what this feels like, right? Church isn't just a bunch of shiny, happy people holding hands. At least maybe on Sunday morning we are, but we're still the church on Monday morning right? 
And, and sometimes that's when we bear with one another. And this picture of bear means that we carry each other's burdens. When, when, when a mom has a baby, we wanna provide meals. When a person is grieving, we wanna be there for them. When a person is grumpy, we do wanna try and cheer them up. We bear with one another, but bear with, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, here's the deal. If one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. That's how this works. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So what this verse in Colossians is saying is that when you feel yourself complain, you just step back into the current of the gospel. And you remember all that Jesus has done for you. And when you get there, you notice what you'll never hear? You'll never hear Jesus complain about you. You always hear, I love you. I'm with you. And when the gospel has saturated you, it puts you in this different place where you can see what God is doing. As a matter of fact, that's what I would ask you to do is you step back in the gospel, you remember what Jesus has done for you, and then whatever complaint you have, you think of 10 things that you can celebrate about that issue. If you're mad at your kids, think of 10 ways that your kids are awesome. And y'all, it could be like they only use four squares of toilet paper instead of 40 today. Like get creative, Right? But there's lots of things to celebrate when you look because when you see what God is doing, it changes everything. Instead of just living in where God isn't meeting up to your expectations, you'll start seeing the best instead of the worst. So what happens when we live this way? We start seeing what God is doing in each other. We start seeing people as God sees them. We start being a church where hope Grace, patience, the gospel, where that rules our hearts. If you read the update, you'll notice almost every single week, not every week, because I probably don't do anything every week, but almost every single week, I always end with this tagline that's 100% true, and it's, I love being the church with you. And y'all, I want you to hear this. I love being the church with you. I see what God is doing in this body, and it blows my mind. It humbles me, it amazes me, and I love that. And my greatest hope and prayer is that you can see what God is doing in this congregation. And that you will be amazed and humbled by it as well. Because if that happens, and when that happens, and as it happens, because I know a lot of you are doing that, and, 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 and as that catches fire, it changes a city. It changes a region. And, it, and it, not to tie it, not to do the shameless plug for for Asheville, but people begin to see that God is for them too because they see a, people, a group of people who believe that. So y'all, let's be that church family. Let's pray.